0: Chapter 17 of the Brown Brethren. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Brown Brethren by Patrick McGill. Chapter 17 Young Blood. Over the top is cold, matey. You lie in the field alone. Didn't I love you of old, matey? Dearer than blood of my own you're my dearest chum matey god but your face is white and now the reliefs have come matey i'm going home alone to-night from Soldier's songs at one o'clock in the morning the london irish were in occupation of the trenches the battalion which they had relieved were just moving away reynolds section was lucky enough to find a dugout and here they threw down their loaves and other luxuries which the government had not supplied now we must make ourselves as comfortable as we can said flanagan as he lit a cigarette i'm for a sleep until it's my turn for sentry snogger who came to the dugout door at that moment heard the remark and chuckled having some work to do which needed volunteers he saw scope for his peculiar type of humour going to have a kip flanagan he asked in a gentle voice turn it in for a spell just a while said flanagan an hour or two well you're damned unlucky said the sergeant with a chuckle we're going to raid the enemy's trenches we want to see what they're doing identification purposes you know they're too damn quiet here and you know when the german is keeping quiet you've got to oil your knife. the section was up and alert in an instant anticipation flushed every face i'm in this ere game said bub in a vehement voice last time i was out of it "'All's in it, that is. Every man in this platoon. "'Cept them just out,' said the sergeant. "'They'll stay here and mind the ouse while we're away.' "'I'm going out in the raid,' said Reynolds, in an eager voice. "'I want to be in the fun.' "'You do, dare you?' asked the sergeant, scratching his head. "Ye never do what you want in this yer crush, my boy,' he bellowed. "'You just do what I tell you, and you'll find that quite enough, "'for yer ear very long. "'If ye do what I tell you, and do it right, you're all right.' I'll make it easy for you. That's me. Snogger. Reynolds lay back against the wall of the dugout, his fair, youthful face lit by the glow of the candle which Flanagan had just placed in a niche of the wall. The boy was bitterly disappointed. The others were going over the top, and he was to be left alone. He opened his lips to say something, and his voice faltered. He was on the verge of tears. Is there any means of getting out with you? he asked couldn't somebody stay back and let me go in his place the bloke as doesn't want ter go out isn't in this your regiment said bub the sergeant who had just gone outside returned carrying a tin filled with a substance black and soft like soot now boys he said as he placed the tin on the floor cover your faces over with this and be like niggers a white face can be seen a good distance on a moonlight night and if you're seen on this here job it'll be all up with a party they'll be damn unlucky. And when you've done that, get arf a dozen bombs apiece and bring with you, the sergeant continued. Also get some brushwood. You'll find it out here ready for you. And you'll go over disguised as a shrubbery. We'll crawl across, get up to the German trench, and fling the bombs in. Then we'll come back, this old lot of us, if we're lucky. What the devil's that? The stretcher-bearers brought him in from the trench, a rifleman with a wound showing in his shoulder. And "'placed him on the floor. "'One of the party that was to cross,' said the sergeant, "'then asked, "'Mucher, old man?' "'Not much wrong was the reply of the wounded man. "'I'm sorry I'm not in the raid. "'I looked across and then my shoulder burned. "'Well, I must get another man,' said the sergeant. "'You'll do, Reynolds. "'Get your face blacked and get some bombs.' "'The men set to work in the dugout and blackened their faces, "'procured their bombs and branches, "'and got into raiding order.' in ten minutes time they were out on the open thirty men making towards the german trenches flanagan lit a cigarette put his hands in his trousers pockets and leant his back against the wall of the dugout bob looked at him your bloomin' old fizz is sooty enough flan he said but your teeth don't awful look white they'll be seen miles away i suppose i should black them said flanagan it would be for my own good natural selection has not fashioned me for this war environment raiding by night is a job for chimney sweeps they could walk over to the german trenches and they would not be seen in the darkness darwin would be very interested in these raids if he saw one he could write a treatise on artificial selection and call it the survival of the fittest disguised we are disguised we're one with a night we accommodate ourselves to our environment like the fox that changes his coat to white when the snow comes these ere branches aren't off a barney said Bubb, who understood only a little of what flanagan was saying burnham wood copied from macbeth said flanagan with an air of scorn there's nothing new in the world there were trenches and dugouts at the siege of sebastopol sergeant snogger came in at that moment his body festooned with bombs his face the color of ebony he looked at his men what are you waiting for he asked god you're a slummokey. come on we've got to get across tonight tomorrow won't do for this here job the party went out crossed the parapet into no man's land and advanced an open order six yards interval between each man and his neighbor reynolds near the center of the line had flanagan on his right bowdy banners on his left whilst the sergeant who led the party moved warily along a few yards in advance from time to time he halted and waited for those who followed to come abreast and issued orders which were passed from the centre to the flanks in whispers he used the words damned unlucky whenever he spoke spread out from the centre he cautioned the whole party's bunching up if the enemy flings some dirt across you'll be damned unlucky again he gave the order close in in the center you're losing touch some of you'll be going into the german trench all alone then you'll be damned unlucky whenever a star shell rose in the air the raiders flung themselves flat to the ground and waited for the flare to die out as they went down they placed the branches over their heads and held them there until the order to advance was given lying thus they were immune from discovery an enemy patrol ten yards away would mistake the prone bundles under their covering of branches for derelict bushes which the fury of incessant shell fire had spared star shells rose at frequent intervals from the enemy lines the british sent up very few this was the case all along the line the enemy in eternal dread of raids kept up a continual watch over no man's land the party, now halfway across, lay down. For a starshell rose from the German trench, stood high, and lit the derelict levels with the brilliance of day. Then, oscillating sleepily from side to side, it dropped a myriad petals of flame and sank lazily to earth. They're getting the wind up, said Bowdy Benners, whispering across to Reynolds. We'll have some dirty work before we come back. The boy made no answer. Lying prone, he listened to the silence how calm it was under the great glorious moon the levels were in a dream a dream of fairyland and everything save the star shells and the glint of light that played on his rifle barrel was as motionless as though in a realm of frozen enchantment the night drew closer to the boy it seemed caressing his young head and body he even felt sleepy it would be good to lie there and rest his eyes looked out in front on a dead man who lay there scarcely a yard away the boy did not feel afraid that a dead soldier should be there seemed quite natural in keeping with the new life which the youth had entered i suppose he was killed on a raid he thought i wonder if he was going out or coming back what would mother he looked at the dead soldier with a fresh interest and his eyes filled with tears he saw that the man was dressed in khaki and he lay on his back his knees up and his bayonet pointing in air from the bayonet standard to the man's head stretched an unfinished cobweb on which the spider was still busily working fashioning circle and line under the moonlight the web was a brilliant and beautiful dream come out of it reynolds said the sergeant who was annoyed because the boy had not heard the first order to advance spread out a little on both sides for we've got to keep a lookout for a enemy patrol We're not out on a 6 months tour now, he added. If you think so, you're damned unlucky. The men spread out at the double and lay down again, leaving an interval of some twelve yards between each man and his neighbor. Reynolds lay flat, his hand gripping his rifle. Now and then a breeze rustled across the levels, set the poppy flowers nodding to one another, and died away again. The smell of the wet grasses and the damp earth was in his nostrils, and the narcotic odor of the soil almost lulled him into slumber a mouse rustled along the ground in front in and out amongst the nodding poppy flowers and disappeared near him somebody stifled a cough but the sound struck harshly on his ears apart from that silence and suspense he lay flat his face on his hands his legs stretched out to their full extent and listened well to the left a mate whistled Something had aroused his suspicions, probably the enemy patrol. A bird rose from the grass, shrieking as if in pain, and flew away. The lights died out. The level fields looked deathlike. A star shell rose up to the sky and settled over Reynolds' head. Under its light, the country seemed to become more immense. It stretched out on all sides into endless distances. He lost consciousness for an instant well the night is very long in passing he said in an audible voice opening his eyes for a moment i'm very sleepy but if i doze off something may happen he had a desire for something exciting to take place something that would keep him awake he even felt hungry and did not particularly want to fight even a sleepy boy does not like fighting at two o'clock in the morning on an empty stomach when there is so much to eat near at hand how strange that he had not noticed it before probably he had been looking in the wrong direction but there out in front of the mist of the poppies stood a house with the windows brilliantly lighted and the girl standing at the door from the way she laughed when he approached he knew she was glad to see him she made way and entered the dining-room where the table was spread out for dinner the food was not laid out yet but on a table in the corner he could see a grand array of steaming dishes it's splendid he said not like army stuff it's the girl whom he met at the door came into the room approached the table in the corner and brought over a plate of soup which he placed in front of him he looked for a spoon but could not find one you've forgotten he said to the girl i haven't got a spoon how oh, stupid of me she replied i'm awfully sorry i was thinking of something else but now i'll get a spoon i always carry a spoon no matter where i go so do i was reynolds answered i always carry a knife fork and spoon in my pack they're gone now the girl disappeared for a moment when she came into the boy's world again she carried a spoon in her hand this is for you she laughed it's silver plated with a monogram your own monogram as she spoke she lifted his soup and rushed off with it come back with a plate cried reynolds rising to his feet i haven't eaten yet don't get excited she called back over her shoulder i'll pass it along in a moment i'll pass it along pass it along a strange harshness had crept into her voice and the youth swept back into reality the man on his right was calling to him pass it along he called out in a loud whisper pass it along what's the message reynolds asked the right flank reports seeing an enemy patrol was the answer The boy passed the message to the left but got no acknowledgment i suppose the man there is asleep he muttered i'll go along and see him he lifted his rifle and stumbled along through the gloom when a light went up he stood still and waited for the darkness to resume his journey yes here he is he said when a flare lit up the night and showed him a figure in khaki lying flat on the ground asleep of course "'Wake up, man!' he shouted, when he reached the motionless figure. Bring his hand down with a smack on the man's back. The shoulders gave way beneath the force of the blow. His hand seemed to sink into the soldier. Good God!' he gasped. "'It's a dead man.' He left the poor thing hurriedly, found a man asleep, woke him up, delivered the message, and made his way back to his post. The strange experience had unnerved him, and he lay down again feeling that a huge dark form was standing behind him watching every movement on his part a breeze had risen and the waving grasses wailed a dirge in dismal unison from somewhere far away a dog whined mournfully the order to advance was given the men went forward at the double for a space and flung themselves down flat when they reached the enemy's barbed wire entanglements those in the center of the party could not get across the wires in front of them stood sturdily untouched by artillery fire lie low the sergeant whispered to bowdy benners and, and passed the word along to the left ask them if there's an opening the same message to the right the seconds crawled by until the answer came back from the left opening here shall we go through pass the message to the right and tell them to close up said the sergeant to benners also those on the left get through and lie down on the other side of the wires and till we join them pass it along the message went its way and the men in the center followed it stumbling and crouching low to avoid the eyes of the enemy's sentinels reaching the opening they lay down their heads under the branches and waited for the party to close in reynolds had a good view of the enemy's trench as he lay on the ground a dozen yards away from the reverse slope of the parapet He saw the sandbags tilted at strange angles, looking for all the world like dead men huddled together in heaps. Immediately in front lay an unexploded shell perched on the rim of a small crater, and near it was a wooden box and a heap of tins. Somebody in the trench was singing a song in a low but clear voice. The night was full of the smell of burning wood. Probably the Germans were cooking a meal. Bowdy Benner's and the sergeant lay in front of Reynolds. Immovable as statues, both might have been dead. Benner's turned slowly round and crawled back again with a message. When the sergeant lifts his branch and holds it over his head, prepare to advance, he whispered. Get your bombs ready to throw. Pass it along to right and left. Fascinated, Reynolds watched the sergeant, saw him lie still as ever for a full minute. Then he raised the branch and held it over his head for an instant, brought it down again, and got to his feet. As one man the party rushed forward to the rim of the trench and began to fling their bombs in on the occupants. There was one explosion, then a second, a third, and a fourth. The Germans, taken unawares, raced from one bay to another, but the bombers waited for them at every turn. In their eyes the attack might have been delivered by an army corps. Death had crept up in the night, out of the unknown." men fell yelled in agony and became silent their white faces showing ghastly on the floor of the trench when the smoke of the explosions died away damn good work keep at it boys yelled the sergeant standing on the parapet and drawing a pin from the shoulders of a bomb they're damn unlucky this here time he threw his missile at a german who was trying to enter the door of a dugout and stepped back to avoid the explosion blimey it's a barney said bub looking down at the trench He had come to his last bomb, and wanting to make it tell, he threw it into a dugout door which showed in the wall of the parados, followed an explosion, accompanied by agonized yelling. Twenty yards away, Reynolds stood on a sandbag, a bomb in his hand, his eyes fixed upon a boy about his own age who, crouching against the wall of the trench, was looking up at him. Reynolds, full of military ardor, had rushed up to the attack when the order was given— and was on the point of flinging the bomb into the trench when he noticed the young german standing motionless paralyzed with fear reynolds raised the bomb with the intention of throwing it then brought it down again the terrified foe frightened him in the heat of passion reynolds would have killed him but to take away the life of that shivering terrified creature was not a job for the youngish newly out he gazed at the german the german returned the gaze Perplexity looked at Dredd and became horrified. Killing was not an easy matter. Reynolds drew back a pace, his eyes still fixed on the foe. The battle raged round him. The flash of the bursting bombs almost blinded him. The explosion shook the ground. The flying splinters sang through the air. Suddenly the order to retire came down the line. A brown figure rushed up to Reynolds, shouting something about, Get out of it! seized the bomb which the youngster held and flung it into the trench on the youthful german the party retired hurriedly their work was completed the sooner back the safer the sergeant yelled they'll open up a machine gun now and we'll be damned unlucky if we don't grease back already the enemy's rifles were speaking and bullets swept by with a vicious hiss the men stumbled through the opening in the barbed wires and rushed into the levels Benners and Reynolds ran out together, chuckling, pleased no doubt, at the success of their enterprise. Bub and Flanagan followed. The latter had lost his rifle and vowed that he was always unlucky. Suddenly Reynolds fell headlong to the ground. He was on his feet immediately and rushing forward again. It's the damned wires, said Flanagan, they're scattered all over the place. As he spoke, Reynolds went down for the second time, but did not rise again. Benners came to a halt and stooped over him. "'Are you hit, Chummy?' he asked. "'I got it through the breast,' the boy replied. "'It was that which brought me down the last time, not the wires.' Reynolds was surrounded now by his comrades. He was sitting half upright, his head sinking towards his knees, the martial elation of a few minutes ago utterly gone. "'Well, Chummy, you'll be all right in time for breakfast,' said Bub, who expected that these words would buoy up the youngster's courage but reynolds seemed to pay no heed a cold and sorrowful expression settled on his white face which looked strange and unearthly in the light of the moon the sergeant cut open the youth's tunic and looked at the wound which showed red over the heart there was very little bleeding oh you'll be all right in no time said the sergeant in a voice which was strangely soft and kind no no said the boy in a scarcely audible whisper Leave me to myself, please. I'll not live very long. It's too near the heart. These were the last words which the men heard him speak. Ten minutes later he had passed away. I knowed it would pan out that way, said Bob, as he sat in his dugout two hours later, drinking hot tea from his sooty mess tin. It was dawn. The sun came up red in the east, and dewdrops glittered like diamonds on "'Levels. "'Twas the same with old Stumpy. He was the third man to light his fag with the same match,' said Bill. Then he went up to the trenches, and he was shot dead. "'It's all damn rot,' said Flanagan. I knew men getting killed who never smoked a fag. "'I'd a feeling that Reynolds was going under anyway,' said Benners, and he was such a good boy, too. "'I liked him better than I cared to say,' said Flanagan. "'He was as eager as hell, and he's dead.' He didn't have much of a run for his money. Taken it all in all, we're not so blurry badly off," said Bub. "I wonder if we're going to get relieved soon. I hope so, anyway." End of Chapter 17.